I ask you, good listeners, what is it that makes a game frightening? Is it the terrifying environments, the haunting soundscapes, the harrowing tales of poor souls lost and alone in a dire situation? Or perhaps it is the fact that when all of these pieces are in play, it becomes so easy for us to imagine that we are the ones lost in that creepy mansion, wandering its narrow, cobwebbed corridors, and trembling at what might lurk around that shadowed corner. Slowly, our imagination slips free from our grasp, and we sink into the game's reality, until we begin to wonder if that noise we heard just outside our window was really the neighbor's dog, or perhaps something much more sinister. Testing, testing, one, two, one, two. Testing, testing. Hey, Andrew, I think this is working. All right, here goes. Good evening, ghosts and ghouls. This is your co-host and fellow delver into the depths of madness, Alex Koval. Tonight, in the spirit of the Halloween season, Andrew and I have fortified ourselves in an old abandoned castle, set up some antique radio equipment, and have compiled a cache of letters and calls from our listeners that pay tribute to the games that have chilled them to the bone, given them sleepless nights, and sent them screaming from their consoles and computers. So... Barricade your doors, cast any helpful incantations you know, and grab the nearest impromptu melee weapon, because we have quite a few treats, and also some tricks in store for you in this very special episode of Scream When I said you could host this next episode, this is not what I was anticipating. Hey man, you know me. When I go Halloween, I go big. But, uh, you know, I think this is more of a castle, really. I mean, if you look at the load-bearing structures, they really have that kind of gothic construction to them. Yeah, but look at the furnishing. It's, It's much more modern than you'd expect in a castle, you know? Hmm. Well, I guess, uh... We're just going to have to agree to disagree here. Maybe we should get on with the show before someone realizes we're here. That's a good, good point. Okay, before we start here, we have a few disclaimers, just for those of you out there who are perhaps a little squeamish at this time of the year. Uh, First of all, we want to say that there might be, possibly, potentially, some graphic content. This is a horror episode, and sometimes horror gets a little slashy slashy also we want to let our listeners know if you've submitted an entry that we may have edited a little bit for clarity and um to keep things sort of uh, easy to understand and brief and uh because we had listeners submit uh submissions there may be spoilers for the games that they mentioned oh, yeah. so possibly the scariest thing in tonight's episode unwanted spoilers you've been warned the statute of limitations is probably up on a number of these games, but of course. With uh, with all that said, I mean, uh, Andy, do you want to just dive right in? Oh, of course I'd love to. Well, our first submission comes from Ryan Buckley. Half-Life 2, many of you out there might remember this game. And the submission is a chapter in the game called We Don't Go to Ravenholm. Uh, this is a level that appears, it's about midway into the game, And the reason I mention this up front is that it's the one that introduced players to one of the most iconic weapons in video game history, the gravity gun. Ryan writes to us, Such a great level design. 
Ravenholm goes from zombie survival horror, with headcrab-possessed people mindlessly stumbling towards you, to werewolf action on the rooftops. These distinct halves are probably references to classic horror films like Night of the Living Dead and An American Werewolf in London. Thankfully though, Ravenholm is a lumberyard of sorts, with detached saw blades lying all over the place, so combined with the newly acquired gravity gun and the game's groundbreaking physics, this makes for an ideal monster fighting machine. Great entry, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, I played a lot of Half-Life 2 in college myself. I will never forget how creepy Ravenholm is. It just literally creeps up on you as a chapter. It's like a little mini horror chapter inside of a dark science fiction novel. Do you remember remember this, Alex? Oh, I definitely remember it. Um, I remember going through Half-Life 2 and liking it. Um, but then all of a sudden, this totally unexpected horror chapter comes out of nowhere. And uh, I would say that after that chapter, I absolutely loved that game. I mean, <laughs> cutting zombies in half with a propelled saw blade. Sold. Yeah, nothing beats it. All right. Well, thanks for that submission, Ryan. Alex, you want to take number yeah. two? Now we have a submission from Jake Fabina, who mentions Outlast for the PlayStation 4. And Jake writes... I only played the first 20 minutes or so of Outlast, but that was enough for a favorite jump scare of mine. Essentially, Outlast is a story about bad choices. You play as an investigative reporter, just some normal guy, not a super soldier with the means to defend yourself. And your only weapon is the light on your camera, which drains batteries quickly. So right away, you feel defenseless and at the mercy of whatever comes your way. Anyway, I guess to pay the bills, you go in to investigate an abandoned mental asylum that probably has some nasty reputation. You start this journey in your car, driving down a dark road towards the asylum. It's dark because you've decided to investigate the creepy asylum at night, which is decision number one in a series of the dumbest decisions you could possibly make. (laughs) Next, your radio cuts out, but whatever, it happens, so you continue on. The gate is locked. And the front door is locked, but instead of using this as an excuse to come back, you break into the asylum by crawling under a fence and climbing through a window. The place is trashed, but you don't turn back because, you know, you have a family to feed or anything. This series of decisions that your character makes, while frustrating to no end, certainly helps build up a combination of both dread and complacency. You know something is coming, but hey, everything has gone swimmingly so far, so you're lowering your guard a bit. It's the perfect cocktail for a jump scare. As you walk through one of these initial rooms, out of nowhere, BAM! Dead body, hanging from the ceiling, in your face. My friend recorded me playing this game for the first time, and while I can't find the video these days, I got to hear my own natural, explicit reaction to a terrifying moment. Needless to say, things go downhill pretty quickly for our intrepid reporter. Unfortunately, by the time he thinks, hey, maybe I should turn around, it's way, way, way too late. Ah, the old uh, character makes a series of increasingly stupid and irrational decisions for the sake of a jump scare trope. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but we took a field trip to Mansfield Reformatory in high school. That's the place where the Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Yeah, no, I totally remember that. Very unsettling. Oh, man, I can say this. You would not catch me dead crawling under any fences or sneaking into any prisons at night. Um... But hey, Jake, I'm glad that your loss was our game, buddy. Wow. Well, thanks for the submission, Jake. Excellent. Never played Outlast myself. Um, Not sure that makes me want to play it anymore. Pretty creepy. (laughs) All right. So our next submission comes from Jesse. Uh, It's a game called Siren that came out originally for the PlayStation 2 around 2003, 2004. Jesse writes to us, This is a relatively obscure game from Japan, which thrusts you into a mysterious plotline on an isolated island. Siren pits a handful of unrelated characters against a horde of zombies, for which they are largely unprepared. The most spooky moment is when a high school student, Tomoko Maeda, is walking unarmed through a forested area of her hometown at night, avoiding the Shibito, zombies, and looking for her parents. When she arrives at a church, she sees her parents through a window. She taps at the glass to get their attention, but instead of welcoming her in, Her mother cries and her father threatens her with a bat. She didn't realize that she had already turned into a Shibito and that her life was basically damned to live in this alternate reality for eternity, unable to end her own life. It ends with her walking off into the dark, 
away from the church. This was spooky for me because being abandoned by your parents was one of those things you silently dreaded as a kid. We all still have some of those basic fears inside of us as we grow older. The game makes you empathize with Tomoko by trying to keep her alive for a whole level, only to show you that she was doomed in the first place. And to top it off, she was denied the safety and warmth of her parents that she had been searching for for the entire game. It's those scenes that make you imagine being in a situation so messed up that I find the spookiest. Ooh, yeah, I found uh, the submission excellent because uh, one, I've never heard of Siren before, and now I want to go seek a copy of it out. And then number two, this is one of those stories um, that you really have to ideally tell through a video game because you're experiencing it through the eyes of the character, and then you kind of get that perspective and empathy for them. But yeah, really, really interesting submission. Uh, very cool. Have you ever heard of Siren, Alex? Uh, I have not. Man, what a what a dark sounding game, though. Jesse, that's a real deep cut, and has uh, a pretty rough scenario you described there, man. I uh, feel like I need to go to therapy just to get over that injury. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough, uh, but perfect, <laughs> perfect for what we're looking for. Um, yeah, it was yeah, awesome. great little analysis there too from you, which we appreciate. Yeah, our next entry comes from Susan Dadalo, and it is "Don't Starve Together" for the PC. She writes, the object of the game is simple, to not starve, as the title suggests. To survive, you have to gather items and learn how to make useful tools and weapons to defend yourself from animals, etc. The spooky part is not the tentacles that rise up from the swamp in certain areas, or the bees that randomly attack you during certain season. The spooky part is at night. But listen, you have to have a fire, whether it comes from a torch or your campfire during the night. Why? When it's night, it is motherfucking night. <laughs> the screen gets completely dark. All manner of things come out to deplete your health, and you have no idea what is going on and what is hurting you. But wait, it gets better. There are times where even if you get a fire going at night, you still see these hands crawling out from the edges of the dark screen that are not lit by your campfire. And guess what? You can't do anything about these shadowy hands that are reaching for you. Fire does not protect you, your wonderful weapons you spent five seasons making do not protect you. You can try to swing that twig axe at them, and they back off for a bit, but they'll eventually keep creeping in. You are at the mercy of time. All you can do is sit by your little campfire, singing your campfire song, and waiting for the sunlight. <laughs> I want to know this campfire song. I'm looking it up. The hands are actually you going insane in the game. She writes, The game is a different type of unnerving at times. Going insane because you are out in the middle of nowhere trying to survive is a realistic sort of spooky because I know that I would probably give up five minutes into any outdoor sur survival situation. Mm. I see Susan, that's where we differ because spending the night in nature surrounded by creepy creatures and using only my wits to survive and I get to slowly go insane, to me that sounds like the dream. Yeah, that sounds like um, you. I mean, that's right up my alley, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I've always I've always remember seeing hype about this game, like when it came out, and I remember how like it looks so stylistic. And uh, because this sounds like such a such an Alex Koval game, I might have to check this one out. All right. This next entry is actually our first audio submission. Uh, thanks to a number of people who chose this option. This was really cool to get to literally hear from everyone uh we've got some really interesting entries uh, and this first one is no exception uh because it is from by none other than um my life partner previous guest of the show hillary beauvais i've insisted many times that this game needs a reappraisal while also knowing full well that it is truly atrocious in both playability and graphics and has never-ending cutscenes that will make you bang your head against a wall However, now that it's Halloween and spookiness is peaking, the time is ripe to talk about Let There Be Light from the PS1 game Rugrats Search for Reptar. The premise of the level is simple enough. Tommy Pickles' dad, Stu, causes a power outage, so Tommy takes it upon himself to try to let the light back in by opening the refrigerator, or as he calls it, Frigidator. However, on the way there and throughout the level's adventure, you encounter shadow monsters, which are, to be totally clear with you, 2D graphics of ghosts that you must eliminate by shining light on with your flashlight. Also, there's a pumpkin filter on the end of the flashlight. Important spooky detail, obviously. 
The look of the level is literally the same as the rest of the game, taking place at the Pickles residence, but with a dark blue tint filter over top. For some reason, seeing both in and outside of the house this way, coupled with ghosts popping out every time you turn a corner, made this level so scary to me as a child. I think it just all too clearly portrayed how your own house, which otherwise feels like a safe haven, can be so unpredictable in the dark. Hearing only the sound of your own footsteps hardly provides comfort. I wasn't the only one who, as a kid, was scared by this level. Please note some of the YouTube comments I came across, such as, This level terrified me as a kid. Creepy as hell back in the day. And my favorite, Resident Evil, The Tommy Pickles Chronicles. Um, I want to know if you guys played this, and uh, either way, you're going to need to insert some wacky clips of the insane sound effects in this game, which will truly make you go insane. Thanks. Wow, I really want to play Resident Evil, the Tommy Pickle Chronicles right now. That's what I'll say. Um, I was going to say, I've been seeing some Mr. X skins, like, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine, oh, no. the Untitled Goose. Tommy Pickles is next, man. Literally Mr. so P. creepy. <laughs> Mr. P instead of Mr. X. <laughs> Put the top yeah. hat on him anyways. It's just a baby with a t-shirt and a diaper on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I checked this out the other night and thought oh this is gonna be such a joke this is i heard hillary submission i was like this has got to be so goofy and literally got spooked watching the video of this because <laughs> like when the goat <laughs> when you turn the corner and the ghost would appear i actually was like oh those oh. 2d ghosts yeah like it just like it just they just were everywhere like because the camera only turns the corner with tommy pickles yeah tommy pickles and like the parents were even really creepy too they're like they're, they're like voice comes in and it's all staticky it's just like oh, we're gonna yeah. make the toy business now tommy and it's like <laughs> yeah anyways i think we're gonna have to dump this in the horror category officially now survival horror <laughs> yes yeah, so we'll, we'll add that to the stack yeah for sure all right well thanks for that one hillary great submission uh totally unexpected but perfect and hilarious what the hell is is that a bat Oh my god, it's, it is a bat! Throw me that stick! Come on, we gotta get that thing out of here. Get over here! You... Behold my true form and despair! You mortals are no match for my power. For what is a man but a miserable little pile of secrets? And now I, Vlad Dracula Tepish, control your paltry machines. No doubt they are but trinkets compared to my castle's machinations. But my curiosity does beckon. What do these buttons do? Hey, my name is Kev, and one of the spookiest video games I've ever played in my life was Alan Wake on the Xbox 360. It was 2011, I was only 13 years old at the time, my younger brother Steve was 8. And this game holds a very special place in my heart because it was how Steve and I bonded. In the game, you play as a writer named Alan Wake, whose fic fictional writings have become physical manifestations of light and darkness. This psychological horror thriller was super cinematic and played like a TV series, complete with a soundtrack that includes David Bowie's Space Oddity. From the moment we booted up the game, Steve and I knew we were in for a ride, a spooky one that would make us actually afraid of the dark. And this game was both a literal and metaphorical battle of light versus darkness. The darkness was called the Taken. They were like people, but consumed by shadows. And the light was this man in a diving suit who could fly. Weird. Anytime that the world was dark, the Taken would crawl out of shadows to harm you, clawing at you, whispering these horrifying sounds. And the only way you could harm them was with your flashlight. A battery-powered flashlight. And that scared us. There was this one scene in the game where we were stranded in the middle of nowhere in the road where the character's car broke down and we had to run to the nearest street light and the game light acted as a safe haven 
and we were sprinting in the darkness, the taken behind us, chasing us. My younger brother and I were freaking out as these shadowy figures were clawing at us. Steve and I were scared beyond reason, jumping in our bed, just freaking out. We knew our parents were listening. They were downstairs, just wondering why are they screaming? Once we were in, under the streetlight in the game, it was a sigh of relief. We were safe until the lights turned off. Oof. We had the entire room's light on in our bedroom. We didn't dare play the game in the dark, fearing that the Taken will crawl from under our beds to take us. For a while, Steve and I would only step outside our bedroom if the lights were on. We would be playing this game on hard mode on a Sunday night at midnight, knowing school was the next day, but we didn't care. We wanted to triumph over the darkness and shine light upon the world. This game really got Steve and I to bond with each other, and no matter what, our brotherhood would triumph over anything. Alan Wake was dear to my heart because it was dear to Steve and I. Hmm. A surprisingly touching tale to come from such torment. This Kevin human seems to really care about his family. Family. I had a family once. Before humans took my wife from me. The very humans my traitor son now defends. Still, I wonder what my life would be if they had remained. Die, monster! You don't belong in this world! How? How is it that I've been so defeated? Holy shit! All right. Whew. Sorry about that, listeners. Did not expect any guest appearances this evening, but I suppose that's what you risk when you set up shop inside an old castle. Mm, again, pretty sure this is a, a mansion. Sure. You know, I don't even think that was the real Dracula. Hmm. I think he was just some phony of the night. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's see what you did there. Nothing a good old stake through the heart couldn't take care of. Nicely done. Nicely done. Hell yeah. All right, give me a sec. Let me lock this damn door. Anyways, back to the show. Uh, Our next written submission comes from none other than the Tombstone Podcast. Uh, Friends of ours uh, through social media. We connected uh, over our mutual love of talking about video games. Uh, And their submission is a game called Through the Woods for the PC that came out in 2016. Uh, The Tombstone Podcast writes to us, You are a mother looking for your son in the northern woods of Norway. The myths and legends of the old Scandinavian world slowly come to life in these woods, and you're faced with running for your life in many dire situations. As I walked through the beaten path, the forest grew more winding. I only picked up one or two signs that my son had been taken this way. I thought the worst when I came upon a small clearing in the woods, where a rock face forced my path to split to one side of the woodline. A pale mist blanketed the cold ground as the loom of twilight was setting. With the last of the sunlight hitting the rock face, I peered through the mist and saw in front of me two eyes, gleaming. Though these eyes were much taller than any creature, and suddenly, the grotesque figure of a creature beaten and mutilated charged at me. I had no choice but to run for my life, dodging the creature until I could sprint through a break in the rocks. In the gloom of that cave, I could still see the beast clearly as my flashlight shone upon its maw. It flailed in anger and smashed against the rock face, and my only choice was to soldier on, hoping to find my son still alive. What an epic uh, story there. Yeah, uh, I can very, very much visualize that in my, in my uh, mind's eye, but uh, it kind of reminds me of the some of the scenes actually in another game, Firewatch, where there's that feeling of just being chased or being watched after in the woods. It's like really unsettling. Yeah, yeah. oh man, definitely see that. I agree, man. Like my favorite part in my favorite video game, Resident Evil Remake, as you all know, yeah, of course, uh, is, is the outdoor forest section actually, because... Um, you know, like, I don't get me wrong, love the Spencer estate, absolutely love it, but um, the way they redid the outside area, like, man, that primal fear of just being outside when it's, like, dark 
you can't see around you you're alone i mean like who knows what's out there man Ooh. who knows who knows what's watching everything is watching that's, the, <laughs> that's a real that's a truth there that's oh. that's the real scariness yeah. right there next we have a, another audio submission uh from my buddy al pochi friend of the show actually you can uh hear him talk about metal gear solid 3 in our episode 11 um Anyways, he writes in about Clock Tower 3 for the PlayStation 2 and Sonic the Hedgehog for Sega Genesis. Hey Andy, hey Alex. I don't usually play scary games, but I heard really good reviews about the Clock Tower series. So when I first played it, it was with my friend Danny. We were alone at my house uh, late at night, very dark, very atmospheric in our basement. And she is sitting on the couch behind me, just kind of jumping out of her skin the whole time as I'm playing this game, hiding from monsters. And all of her, like, screams and gasps and lookouts totally add to the atmosphere of the thing. It was so intense that after about half an hour and a couple of deaths, we had to put it down for the night. We couldn't play anymore. And as kind of a second anecdote, I, I don't think anything will ever be as scary as the drowning music in Sonic the Hedgehog. It's really just the theme from Jaws, but sped up and 8-bit. But I have such ferociously vivid memories of my brother torturing me by standing just next to a bubble as that music kept getting louder and louder and me wanting to tackle him, grab the controller and get a bubble and him just getting that breath of fresh air at the last moment because he knew, he knew it bothered me so much. What I love most about that is just the truth of playing horror games with your friends because it's so much of like a backseat gamer experience for some of us. Oh and my God, yeah. it totally, it totally takes me back, Alex, to when we were playing the Resident Evil remake. Um, and every time you like, you turn a corner, I'd see something in like a mirror and it was just like a lantern swinging. I'd be like, oh my God, what was that? <laughs> Anytime oh, yeah. you, I'd like flinch all the time and you'd be like, dude, stop doing that. You're freaking me the hell out. Oh yeah, I totally get that. And like, I, I can't blame, can't blame that girl for being scared. Cause like, I, I haven't played Clock Tower 3, but I've played Clock Tower 1 for the Super Nintendo, I believe. And um, man, if it's anything like that game, I mean, getting chased by like tiny hunchbacks with giant scissors. I mean, that's terrifying. And if yeah. I remember correctly, like the, the music in that game, when that thing, when that creature like chases you, it is like, <laughs> like, it's just like totally crazy. Like it's super high pitched and you just hear like, shh, shh, shh. complete so, nightmare yeah, fuel. Like, oh my God. Yeah. No, I, none of that. None of that at all, please. <laughs> Big note from both of us. Yeah. Thanks for the submission, Al. Uh, great to hear from you. Definitely some, spooky experiences that we can relate to all right this next entry is back to some of our written ones it comes from albert from another friendly gaming podcast uh, that we are peers with the gaming council podcast albert writes to us the spookiest moment in a video game definitely has to be from dark souls 3 on the ps4 the Soulsborne series is already directed in a visually creepy manner with its ties to gothic art and post-apocalyptic settings with all that said, it's a little expected for some spooky moments, and there's two in particular that caught us off guard. The first moment is when you come upon a corpse holding an item near the door to the bellowing dragon ring. After you grab the item, it screams and reaches for you. The second moment is the wretch that, while non-hostile, is just waiting for you in the dark. It freaks the hell out of me every time, especially if you play with your brightness turned down. He pops out of nowhere with those crazy eyes when you're basically on top of him. Both of these moments, although not horribly creepy during the first run of the game, definitely got a jump scare out of me and created a level of dread any time I'd have to pick up an item off a corpse or go into a dark room. Yeah, this kind of has shades of the Babadook to me, the horror film. I remember you and I watching it and it's one of those films that... If your oh, TV yeah. is not calibrated just right, or maybe that moment in Hereditary where you notice the figure in the shadows. Oh. Um, super creepy when you notice something is actually there. And uh, as scary as that is, I think the only thing scarier than this submission 
is the fact that the Gaming Council podcast is still enjoying Croc Legend of the Gobos in 2019. Don't do it, man. Andy. Already did it. Don't start this debate again. We just agreed to put our disagreements aside Mm. in order to do this spooky episode. And we all know there's no point in debating a perfect game. (laughs) That said, Albert, if these parts of Dark Souls are anywhere as scary as some of the parts in Bloodborne, hold Yarnum. Hell no, man. Give me... Give me a Moonlight Greatsword and a pistol full of Quicksilver bullets. Or I'm out. I am out. He's out. I'm out. Speaking of out. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on. Uh, thanks, Albert, for that submission. Uh, you guys are hilarious. Uh, we love tuning in and we love chatting with you on Instagram. Uh, appreciate the submission. Uh, of course, you guys know that we are Soulsborn fans. So yeah, uh, great choice. Excellent. I agree. Next um, up. So our next submission comes to us from Tyler Cromie, buddy of mine, uh, Condemned Criminal Origins for the Xbox 360. Tyler writes, Condemned Criminal Origins was the game that truly started me down the path to survival horror games. And not surprisingly, it is my favorite. The story revolves around your character, a cop, hunting down a serial killer that hunts other serial killers. Hmm. The killer adds the personal touch of killing all of his serial killer victims with their M.O. that they would use to kill their victims. Oh, and the game only arms you with a busted flashlight and about eight rounds of ammo for your gun. The chips are stacked against you. Now I'm starting to see a little little trend here with the flashlights being yeah. the only weapon, and uh, it's a little it's a little lame. Games, you need to give us some uh, some some good melee weapons here. Step it up. Anyways. He writes, the game's level design is not the most unique, but the levels are scary and traditional for a reason. You venture from an abandoned subway to the famous mannequin factory where you have no idea who's an enemy and who's a mannequin. The game also has a supernatural element and you even hallucinate. It creates this experience where you can't trust what you are seeing and you are always one step behind this mastermind serial killer. It culminated in my most memorable experience of the game at St. John's School. You are on the hunt for a serial killer in an abandoned Catholic middle school. Oof. Already I'm scared. There are creepy crosses and generic religious trappings all over. You have been behind the ball on serial killer X every mission and have only found the corpses of his victims. But in this level, you find the body of another another one of serial killer X's victims stuffed in a locker. You begin to do what you have done the whole game. Inspect the body for clues. When... All of a sudden, the body springs to life and grabs you. I remember being so scared that my shocked scream became deep. It scared me into a deep man yell. (laughs) 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 Truly my most memorable experience and one not passed yet. Some serious Uh, Hannibal vibes going on there for sure, too. I'm not sure the deep man yell is Hannibal brand, but... (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> if there, uh, I gotta say, if there's one serial killer that I love, it is the type of serial killer who trolls you. Um, Tyler, and let me tell you, like, having gone to Catholic school pretty much my entire life, there is nothing scarier than being <laughs> in a Catholic school. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I, I joke, I joke. But uh, but I, I do want to know more about this deep man yell, so I uh, I guess I'm going to have to take a trip to St. John's and... Uh, and see if I if I can summon it from uh, the depths of my stomach. Uh, I don't know. Give a real like Skyrim dragon shout. Who's Roda? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, who's Roda? Yeah, that's probably what it is. Maybe Tyler just ch- uh, channeled his inner dragonborn. I could see him doing that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, next we have uh, another uh, audio submission from my friend Marco Black. And he writes to us about Simpsons Hit and Run for the GameCube. The most memorable Halloween theme level I played in a video game is none other than the Treehouse of Horror level, also known as Level 7, in The Simpsons Hit and Run. This GTA-style game was released back in the early fall of 2003. During my first playthrough on the Nintendo GameCube, I had no inkling of the treat that awaited towards the game's finish. This level's atmosphere is tailor-made for anyone who loves Halloween, from zombies roaming the streets of Springfield to witches driving on broomsticks. To the eerie soundtrack playing in the background, the developers crammed a wide assortment of Halloween goodies into this one level. Not only does the level channel the Halloween spirit, but it also includes throwbacks to some of the classic Treehouse of Horror tales. 
One such example is a house's garage covered in red graffiti, just like one sees in the Shining. And we can't talk about a treehouse of horror level without including Kang and Kodos, Springfield resident aliens, in the discussion. These two are the reason for all the spooky sights around Springfield, as they've invaded the town and brought the dead back to life with Evil Cola. The player partakes in various quests such as acquiring supplies to fortify the Simpsons' home against a zombie invasion, and dropping off containers of radioactive waste in an alien spaceship's tractor beam. All in all, this level, to me, is the very definition of a Halloween level. I find myself going back constantly to roam around a haunted Springfield and find more hidden Easter eggs. What truly stands out to me is the attention to detail. There are tons of little Halloween references scattered throughout. Police cars become hearses, cobwebs litter a bridge near the power plant, and one quest includes purchasing a zombie car from, well, a zombie. There are no tricks to be found here, only treats, which perfectly defines the Simpsons hit and run Treehouse of Horror level. Thank you for listening. Yeah, right. and thank you for submitting, Mark. Uh, that was an excellent submission. Actually, I had never played this level, and uh, I did some YouTube research on it, and man, like, he is right. It is the quintessential Halloween level, like... From top to bottom, they just chalk it full of like all of the essential Halloween staples, like witches, zombies, cobweb, like just, and the music is excellent. Um, and, you know, being a Simpsons fan, at least the early seasons, like mm-hmm. I, you could just see like all the attention to detail they put into all, and just all the mentions they referenced that's the Treehouse of Horror episodes. Like it was just really cool I mean, kind of a deep cut game like i'm glad he brought it up because i would have never known about that level yeah absolutely i i always remember sitting around the tv around halloween because we didn't always go trick-or-treating but we did always watch the treehouse of four episodes on the simpsons i remember the uh they did yeah, i very much clearly remember the uh the parody of the shining or is it the oh, shining? Yeah. Is it the shining? Yeah, the sh- it's the shining. They call it the shining. Yeah, where he goes ah, around and chops off people's that's knees. Right. That's in dad. Yeah, that's funny. Um, also, it just like reminds me so much of the Halloween parties that your mom threw, Alex. Just like all <laughs> the details and decorations, where like the suburban neighborhood just gets like yep. transformed. So yeah, cool. that's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but like that's probably why I loved that. Like watching those videos on YouTube so much, they just brought all that nostalgia back. You know? Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of nostalgia. We are going to visit the world of Warcraft for a moment here. Uh, oh boy. Originally released in 2004, and uh, it's uh, worthwhile bringing that date up because the instance, literally and figuratively, uh, that is submitted here to us by Sarah Lamb, a friend and colleague of mine, uh, she writes to us about Scarlet Monastery. Alex, you love the Scarlet Ooh. Monastery. Oh, I love the Scarlet Monastery. What a great dungeon. Um, I have more to say on that, but I want to hear Sarah's submission first. Absolutely. So Sarah writes to us, It may not be the scariest scene, but one of the most surprising and chilling moments that I can remember in a video game took place in a classic dungeon called Scarlet Monastery. At one point, your party enters an interior courtyard. Packs of dogs are immediately triggered, which results in all the entrances and exits being closed and blocked off. You are trapped. I remember running this dungeon with a particularly inexperienced party, which resulted in quick deaths for everyone. I was the last player standing. If being trapped isn't already nerve-wracking, imagine being the sole target of packs of hounds and several other fighters who will inevitably take you to your digital grave. Your party has already abandoned you. Not only are you left alone to die, but when you do die, there is no one in the graveyard to greet you or even to meet you at the entrance to the dungeon. As a side note, Sarah writes to us, most of my fears are manifested in interpersonal situations in video games and in feeling overwhelmed mid-battle or the pressure to heal everyone in a dungeon setting. Hit the wrong hotkey and you screw everything up. Playing late into the night with the lights off and completely focused, anytime there is a noise or a phone vibrates, it results in unnecessary jumps and later, scary sprints up the stairs hoping that the game monsters aren't chasing me oh yeah scarlet monastery a very good submission and an interesting submission just because not only is this a very cultist uh religious fanatical level it's it's got a graveyard and everything like that takes place in a scary forest but yeah just the whole like scariness of the chaos of playing a game with other people you don't know um oh yeah interesting yeah 
Oh, definitely. No, I get it. I totally get it, Sarah. Like I was playing, I was playing WoW Classic today, actually, Ooh. and uh, I was running an instance known as the Dead Mines. Perhaps you know it if you're an alliance. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a healer, and I was getting an incredible amount of anxiety because my, I think I was in a party with four clowns, and uh, they were running around like complete idiots, and I was the one that had to keep them alive. So, totally understand it, and actually. Great timing for the submission because in World of Warcraft it is now Hollow's End, and mm -hmm. I have to say I was running to Scarlet Monastery, and as a level thirty-four mage, and uh, I happened to forget that during this time in the early days of WoW there was something called the Wickerman Festival, and during that festival, Andy, you may recall, uh, on your path to Scarlet Monastery there are two giant level fifty-five elite abominations that usually are not there. I got a swift reminder in the form of a giant meat cleaver in my mage's skull. So that was not very Yikes. fun. That was quite spooky. So thank you for the submission, Sarah. It was very timely. Very, very timely indeed. All right, Alex, uh, I think it's only appropriate that you introduce this next. Shh, 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 shh. Do you hear that? You have got to be kidding me. What have you gotten us into tonight? Good thing we locked the door. Oh shit! We gotta hide! 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 There's no point in hiding. I can smell you, like rats trembling in a dark cellar. Come out. You're merely postponing the inevitable. What's this? Recording equipment for a podcast it would seem well then the right to host a pod that right is now mine and what have we here documents regarding the incident in raccoon city how did this information get out hmm. let's see what dear miss emma neely has to say about it Let's be honest, the majority of Resident Evil Remake is terrifying. But what wakes me up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat is the memory of that first hunter. You've just figured out the pool situation, dodged some snakes falling from the sky, and you're starting to feel good about things as you return to the Spencer estate for a second investigation. But then you become painfully aware that something has been following you as a human-sized frog beast breaks down the mansion door, eager to send you to your maker. Ah yes, the Hunters. Bioweapon MA-121, if I remember correctly. A formidable opponent, no doubt. At least they were, back then before I became a god. But this information should never have been made public. It seems that this Emma Neely and I have some unfinished business. If you rats insist on hiding, then so be it. I tire of wasting my time with you. How fortunate for you. But I will be taking this document with me as a souvenir. Was that... Was that who I think it was? That was Albert Wesker. Holy hell. Thank God he wears sunglasses at night or we'd be goners. Yeah. Wait. Alex. He said he was going after Emma. That's your wife. We gotta get out of here, man. We, we just gotta wrap this oh, thing yeah. up. No, no, I know, I know. But don't worry. She, she and I have planned for this sort of thing. Emma. What? If you're listening... Yeah, which uh, which I hope you are. Hey, grab my homemade Captain America shield, uh, the Lord of the Rings replica sword, and get oh to the panic God. room. Engage Operation Valentine. Take no survivors. Wow. There's more to that story. But just to be safe, <laughs> let's definitely try and wrap this thing up and get a move on it. I mean, who knew this place had so many evil residents? So much for the locked uh -huh. door. Well, let's just hope that's the last unexpected visitor we have tonight. Or this episode may never see the light of day. That's for sure. 
All right. Well, actually, our next submission is also a Resident Evil submission. Resident Evil 2 Remake for the PlayStation 4, a game that we've covered pretty extensively on this oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, submitted by Kate by the Players Gonna Play podcast. Some of our friends uh, on social media, they also have a podcast. Check it out. Um, Kate writes... I was playing Resident Evil 2, the remake, on my PlayStation 4 and got the scare of my gaming life. It should be noted that I was home alone after dark with most of the lights turned off because, apparently, I was in the mood to be creeped out. Kate, that's the only way to play Resident Evil. I'm going to go on record saying that. She writes, I was up in the clock tower solving puzzles and could hear the tyrant stomping around outside. He can't get into the clock tower, so I was a bit more relaxed than normal. After solving all of the puzzles, I prepared to make my mad dash away from him and back into the police station. As soon as I couldn't hear his footsteps, I took my chance to dash out. Of course, my running meant that the tyrant would now know exactly where I was, but I could hear his footsteps clearly behind me, so I knew I was in good shape and was in the clear to run to a nearby safe room. Or so I thought. When I threw open the door, Back to the police station, I ran straight into the tyrant. I basically had a heart attack, screamed, and chucked my PlayStation 4 controller <laughs> across the room. I've done that plenty of times. Oh and Leon, oh poor Leon, proceeded to have his skull crushed in. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so brutal, oh, but it's true. Alternate the darkest timeline. Uh, uh, I was certainly more careful from that point on and was much jumpier when the tyrant was after me. Kate, wow. I, I mean, Mr. X has given me so many nightmares and, you know, we cover him extensively in episode two of our Resident Evil 2 remake, but rest assured, like, dear God, terrifying. Those soulless eyes, those stomping feet, that giant menacing fedora. I mean, everything yeah. really. Yeah, I just... mean, it seems like this has just created so many unique and unforgettable and chilling memories for people where they just run into him and they're not ready and they just get completely destroyed. So uh, we definitely can relate and we sympathize with you, Kate. Um, and we also just respect, again, the playing this in the dark. Again, a classic way to do Resident Evil when you first get it. Oh, you it. gotta. Gotta do you it. You gotta. Gotta do it. <laughs> oh, Necessity. Uh, back into a couple audio submissions here. This next one is from a good friend of mine, Corey Hugert. Uh, we went to art school together, uh, and we have been you know, design peers for quite a while now, and uh, talk games on the brag. So, <laughs> let's hear from Corey. All right, Andrew, I've got a treat for you. This time, it's not a recipe for pumpkin soup, although there does seem to be a theme here. Let me set the stage. It's dusk. The sky, or what you can see of it through the muddy clouds, is practically on fire with tinges of deep violet, crimson, and brilliant orange, though you can't pinpoint exactly in what direction the sun is setting. You are atop a lonely copse of rocky pillars that rise from the depths like contorted spires, surrounded by a deep, murky canyon. There are remnants of civilization here. Bits of mangled wrought iron fence jut out along the ledges. Rusty metal support structures extend out into the void, perhaps meant to connect to other stone towers that have since surrendered to the pit. And curiously, train tracks, though there's hardly a stretch of land long enough for more than 30 feet of cold steel before coming to a vertigo-inducing end. Next to a haphazard arrangement of grave markers is what looks like a church steeple, either subsumed into the rock or sprouting up from it. But the most enigmatic feature of the landscape are the bulbous boulders, impossibly balanced upon the thinnest columns, each bluntly carved with a wide, toothy grin or scowl and disquietingly jagged eyes. They loom overhead and far into the distance past the canyon walls, and each and every one is lit from within with a cold yellow fire. And the first thing you utter after surely realizing that these myriad smoldering effigies must have been lit by someone out there in the dark is, 
This place sure feels haunted. Your name is Knuckles the Echidna, and this is Pumpkin Hill in Sonic Adventure 2. The level's theme music, by the way, is titled A Ghost's Pumpkin Soup. It really gets me in the spooky Halloween mood. You know me, the frightened freak Knuckles, and we're at Pumpkin Hill. You ready? I ain't gonna let it get to me. I'm just gonna creep. Down in Pumpkin Hill, I got to find my lost feet. I know that it's here. I can sense it in my feet. The great emerald's power allows me to feel. Only Corey would Trojan horse a Sonic Adventure <laughs> Halloween cameo into what seems like some sort of Lovecraftian, unknown, under-the-radar, underground video game release that I'd never heard of before. So, nicely done, Corey. Um, yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, the second Sonic the Hedgehog uh, entry of the evening, yeah. which is... At first, I was like, you know what? Kind of surprising. Like, kind of a deep cut. Like, didn't expect Sonic the Hedgehog to, to make, make it, but... If there's anything that the most recent trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie has taught me is that Sonic can definitely be terrifying. Yes, he can. Surreal. I mean, like, dude in a creepy, uh, furry costume. Like, It's like a no. man wearing a Sonic skin suit. It's pretty weird. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm oh, you're welcome. Nightmares tonight. Yeah. Thank you. If anyone, uh, if anyone hadn't uh, checked out last year's Iconic Snow World episode, which is the... Uh, predecessor to this one uh cory's pumpkin soup reference was in reference to the fact that he actually gave a pumpkin soup recipe to us last year from the legend of zelda twilight princess so if you're in the mood for that go check that one out all right well thanks Corey, for that submission uh excellent all right um our next entry is from kickler from the gameaholics podcast another uh fellow video game podcast hey kickler what's up man uh he writes to us about halo for the Xbox. Halo Combat Evolved. Very nice choice. I remember when I was a kid, between the ages of 7 and 10, probably when I first played this game, you walk into this level and there is this marine that's kind of lost his mind, saying that he can still hear the voices and the monsters got to him and all this stuff. And one would assume that he is talking about the Covenant, the aliens that you're fighting all throughout the game but in true horror movie fashion you continue throughout the level and open up a door and a body falls onto the the chief it's played out through this cutscene when you pick up a helmet of a fallen marine and you watch the recordings from his helmet that marine is private wallace jenkins who you get to see from that point of view and you just get introduced to the flood. And kind of how it happens is the Marines are going through and you basically just watch as the entire squad gets ripped apart by these new monsters that you've never seen before. And I remember being a kid, just being terrified of this level. And I had to turn the Xbox off and not continue playing that game for a while. But... Yeah, that is probably my earliest memory of a scary instance in a game that wasn't necessarily a horror game. And I remember it affected me so much that playing Halo 2 and Halo 3, both of those games, whenever the flood were first introduced, it scared the crap out of me. And I'd always have to pause and take a breather. Thanks for all that you guys do. And I really enjoy the show. And happy Halloween. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for submitting, Kickler. We really appreciate that. And that was an excellent entry because, you know, I, when I think of horror games, I usually think of, like, games where, you know, you have limited resources to defend yourself, like we were kind of talking about earlier, right. where it's like a flashlight or a camera or, like, you know, something, like, really to inhibit your character. But Halo is a great example of a game where you really are given, like, a full-on arsenal, but it's incredibly effective at building that sense of dread and horror it reminds me a lot of the movie aliens yeah totally agree with alex uh i think we both have a lot of fond memories playing the very first halo uh really great reference and happy halloween to you too kickler thanks for thanks for sending that one back to the written entries uh this next one comes from jack sabbath uh we have a mutual cousin adam who really got both of us into video games vis-a-vis the super nintendo entertainment system and the n64 
Jack writes, My favorite Nintendo franchise is The Legend of Zelda, because it always blends adventure, fantasy, humor, and horror elements into a grand experience. Two haunting moments that come to mind are from the two 3D Zelda games on the N64, the classic Ocarina of Time, and my personal favorite, Majora's Mask. In Ocarina of Time, it was my first encounter with the Redeads, a group of mummified creatures with masked faces that lurched towards you at a snail's pace, moaning endlessly. Creepy enough as is, they become even more intense with a blood-curdling screech. But it doesn't end there, as they latch onto you like a pretzel, sucking the life from your heart meter. The Redeads swarm you in packs, making it more challenging to escape their haunting grasp. Then, in Majora's Mask, the game starts right off the bat with a darker theme, with the world on the brink of destruction. The haunting moment in this game comes from the form of the mask transformation scenes of the Deku, Goron, and Zora masks. While the cutscenes are short, they are gruesome. Effectively choreographed, the scenes of Link hunching over as he screams in pain during each transformation reveal a half-child, half-creature face that freeze frames onto the screen in cue with the audio. Sure, they would eventually get old every time you transformed, but that initial scream provided a memorable moment that meshed well with the darker themes of the game. Thanks for letting me share my memory. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, Jack. Thanks for that one. I'm really glad uh, we got a Zelda feature in this one, just like the last time. Uh, and yeah, I just remember like even like the Shadow Temple and whatnot. The Zelda games, the 3D ones, definitely had that darker streak in them, that's for sure. I still remember to this day, like when you turn into Adult Link, the Ocarina of Time, you turn into Adult Link, you step outside of the Temple of Time, and you're like walking around Hyrule, and you're like, this looks different, what's going on? And then you see like 50 of those undead fucks walking around the square, and you think to yourself like, are they even moving? They look like they're just standing still, you know? Right, they're just like and, idle. And then like, yeah, yeah, they're just like moping around, and then so you like kind of go up to them to check one out, and then all of a sudden like they just jump onto you and give you like a sleeper hold. That's that's a pants pisser right there. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Continuing with the uh, the Nintendo theme, uh, actually, I wanted to submit something for this episode as we're about to close things out, uh, and that would happen to be from none other than Super Mario sixty four. And uh, wait a sec, wait. Do you do you hear that? You're what? Oh, oh God. It's is that a vacuum? Oh, not again. Luigi? What the heck are you doing in this castle? Castle? This is a mansion. This is Luigi's mansion. I was just a cleaning up some of the booze that be sneaking around here all of the time. Oh, well, jeez. Uh, uh, thanks for keeping us safe, I yeah. guess. And uh, Yeah, sorry for trespassing on your property. And also for, you know, totally wrecking your front entrance over there. It's a no problem. Luigi's a big fan of screen looking. Oh, but it'd be nice to hear about me and my brother once in a while. Hey, well, hey, look, look, tonight we're doing a special mailbag episode. And uh, Andy was going to share his spooky memory from Super Mario 64. But would you like to read it instead? I would love to. Here we go. Who would have ever thought... That the lovable upbeat Mario in his 3D debut smash hit would harbor its own dark secret. Booze, the playful ghosts throughout the Super Mario franchise, the ones you can find of me vacuuming up these days, wahoo! Also leapt into the third dimension with Super Mario 64. They even got their own world to taunt, annoy, and terrify Mario within. Big Boo's Hunt. When you first arrive, Mario's playful somersaults end abruptly as he's creepily taunted by the Big Boo. The player sprints forward through the double door entrance, but don't let the game's Nintendo stamp of approval fool you. This time, the path ahead of Mario isn't quite so clear. If most players did what I did, they entered the first door on the left. Nintendo must have known they would, given how welcoming the room appears. Beautiful wood flooring, moonlight pouring in, and a baby grand piano sitting in the foreground. 
is the only real prop in the room, the grand piano beckons you towards it. But then, suddenly, the lid to the piano b b bursts open, slamming back down relentlessly. A loud, dissonant chord blares out with every bite, and inside, it's a blood-red ma with lines of shark-like teeth. As an adult, this level of brilliance is immensely clear. A hilarious example and effective way to let the players know they were not off the hook. But as a seven-year-old kid, what couldn't have been less clear was what other terrors awaited me behind the necks of several doors. Hey, thanks, Luigi. Yeah, thanks, man. And sorry again for, you know, everything. It's a no problem. I gotta go. I still gotta catch the rest of these booze. And I don't want this episode to suck. Bye, Bye Luigi. <laughs> well, Andrew, you were right. It was a mansion all along. It wasn't just any mansion, Alex. It was Luigi's mansion. I'm sorry, the ne next time I will show more respect. Forgive me, Miyamoto-san. Not in Luigi's house. Not <laughs> in Luigi's house. Well, next year, can we just agree to do this at one of our places, okay? I mean, poor mm -hmm. Luigi out here, working the graveyard shift. Anyways, I'm gonna start packing things up, but there is actually one more submission sticking out of the mailbag over there. Do you wanna do the honors and bring this thing home? I would love to. Let's see here. Okay, this submission comes from Alex Kova. Hmm? Wait a second. I'm Alex Koval. That's strange. And it's not even on Resident Evil Remake. Hmm. Even stranger. Very creepy. All right, let's see what this Alex Koval has to say. This entry is for Silent Hill 2 for the PlayStation 2. And I write, Silent Hill 2 is one of those games that is often heralded as the apex of the horror genre, and for good reason. For it is a game that scared me so badly that I still blame it for my tendency to look over my shoulder when traversing long, dark hallways. What about Silent Hill 2 was so scary, you ask? Well, I would direct you to Article A, Pyramid Head, a towering, eight-foot-tall, sinewy specimen of a man garbed only in a bloody apron and a rusted metal head trap resembling an asymmetric pyramid. You see, Silent Hill 2 is a game that trades heavily in psychosexual themes, and our tridomed friend here is one gigantic Freudian metaphor. In appearance, he dons a silent rage and a physical power but the real cause for concern is the massive, obviously symbolic, six-foot-long butcher's blade that he drags menacingly behind him. Such a weapon would surely make even Cloudstrife's buster sword shrink in embarrassment. In our first encounter with Pyramid Head, we find him doing unspeakable things to the mindless mannequin enemies that appear throughout the Woodside Apartments. Though the fiend's motives are unclear, his actions are wholly disturbing, and the whole scene evokes immediate disgust. Confronted by such a horrific sight, our character does exactly what we would expect, hides in fear until the monster leaves. But the most disturbing run-in with the abomination occurs when you reach the dark dead end of one of the game's many hallways. Blocking your path are metal bars, similar to that of a jail cell. The only sound you hear piercing through the blackness is that of a shrill static. And staring at you, from the other side, kept at bay by what now seemed to be flimsy pieces of metal, is Pyramid Head. One wonders what he sees and ponders behind that metal cage. I shudder at the thought. Alex? Is it just me? Or... Uh, is, is that static? What did you do? I think that is static. What did you do? 
All right, Andy, pack it up, man. Pack it up. Go. Come on, come on. We gotta go. We gotta go, man. We gotta, gotta go. go. Come on. Out, out. No, no, out, no, out. no, 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 no. Music in today's episode came from the respective soundtracks of the games submitted as they were being featured. The music you're hearing now is by our resident synthwavist, previous guest and friend of the show, Mono Memory. You can find the tune, a remix of one of the main themes from the Resident Evil remake, through his Bandcamp page and, of course, in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in to our Halloween special edition of Screen Looking. We hope you enjoyed yourselves as much as we clearly enjoyed putting it together. And if you did, we'd love if you'd share it with a friend and or leave us a review from wherever you tune into podcasts, especially if you do so through Apple Podcasts. I'd like to give a big round of applause to my co-host, Alex Koval, for taking on hosting and production duties for the majority of this episode. Alex made my job incredibly easy this time and crafted something truly special for the show as a result. Alex uh, really swung for the fences with this one, and I hope it helped put all of you into the spooky spirit this Halloween. That work included all of the writing and scheduling for all the performances by our guest appearances too, including Eric Matthews as Dracula, Joe Jasek as Albert Wesker, and Bill Lyon as Luigi. Special thanks to all of them as well for all of their time and their talents. It was really fun to have you guys be a part of this too. Lastly, thanks of course to everyone who made this episode possible, to all of our listeners and friends for your submissions. This episode is very much for and by our little community that we've been slowly building over the last year, and we hope you all enjoyed hearing your submissions on air. We wish we had time for everyone's entries, but there were a handful that just came in right under the wire, right as we were starting to record. Um, But we will try and shout out everyone on our Instagram feed regardless, which you can find at ScreenLooking. So be sure to give us a follow there if you haven't already, and we hope to hear from you all soon. Again, I'm your usual host, Andrew Kuhar, And for both Alex and I, happy gaming, happy Halloween, and don't forget to save your game before you hit the lights.